the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. In studio with me today is my co-host, my husband, Donnie. Hi. Hello. Happy, <laughs> happy day. We have a special guest in studio, but we'll get to that in just a second. I just want to quickly mention that this podcast, Relevant Recovery Radio, is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. Mm-hmm. We have a detox and two-year recovery aftercare program. We're inside St. Joseph's downtown. If you're uh, if you or a loved one is curious about our program, we have a website, www.matthewshope.org, or you can give us a call with any questions, 844-263-4673. And you can listen to us at 1 p.m. Central on KPRC 950 or on the iHeartRadio app. Just search Relevant Recovery Radio. That's true. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. So I'm excited yeah. about this episode today. I cannot wait to hear <laughs> what she has to say about you. So I have a special guest in studio with me today. It is my sister, Tanya. Hello, everyone. That's right. <laughs> and so I'm so excited because she's going to help describe what life was like dealing with the, a drug addict, me, from a sibling's perspective, from a That's sister's right. perspective. Two yeah. Oklahomans in the studio. <laughs> Help me. Listen, you can take the girl out of Oklahoma. You cannot take the Oklahoma out the girl. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, sister. Yes, ma'am. I'm excited to have you here because oh, we've had, she've, she's been visiting with me this week for the last few days, and we've yep. just been talking a lot about recovery and this journey to get to a place where you and I have a sister mm-hmm. relationship today because yes. we never did. No. <laughs> so even even before uh-uh. you became a buffoon on drugs, right? This no, because is... I was just always a horrible person and there is a <laughs> when huge... Are, when are you going to stop being... <laughs> Jury's out. <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> well, there was also nine years difference yeah. in our age yeah. and yeah. Um, so, and I had my own addiction in my youth and ended up pregnant in high school. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I left home at like 17, yep. and so you were like maybe six. Yeah, I was young when you moved out. And so I got married and moved away, so it really didn't feel like I was growing up with a sibling. I mean, I, there was a baby in my house the last half of my youth, but yep. um, but it wasn't like really growing up with a sister. Right. And so, um, you know, once I got married and moved away, um, it was kind of like there was zero contact because... Well, first of all, she was young at that time, but yeah. when later, you left, since you were pregnant, you left with some contention in the household. I mean, there was oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So she got married and moved to Alabama, had a bunch of kids. Yes. You know, she just had an adult life, and I was the spoiled brat still at home, now the only child that right. you know was just being molded into a worse human being. <laughs> and your your penta hostile parents were yeah. not okay with it. <laughs> well, and and one thing about it too is that. Even even as she, um, you know, began her adult life, 
um, you know, first we did live in in different states mm-hmm. for a long time, and so um, we just haven't really been in the same demographic area yeah, that too. to really kind of connect. But uh, the gist of it was that by the time she was in her adulthood, she was also in her addiction, mm-hmm. and what that looked like to me at that time was just this big self-centered brat <laughs> yeah. that was just spoiled rotten, yeah. and I just couldn't. Understand understand how she got away with this behavior yeah. for I'm, so long. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to change. <laughs> so, Alyssa, so I want to premise like a little like disclaimer at the beginning of this whole podcast that as we dissect and talk about these, the nature of addiction or alcoholism, we're specifically talking about the chronic type. Um, whether you're an alcoholic or a drug yeah, addict. Not like somebody who just goes hard on the weekend. Or and by the way, who can diagnose that? Self. That's it. Self. Only I okay. can, if I think I'm an alcoholic, only I can diagnose me. There's not another human on the planet that but can. But it always goes back to a proper understanding is what is an acute or a hard drinker versus a chronic alcoholic or a chronic drug addict? Let's say hard drinker because when you say acute drinker, I'm like, oh. oh so cute. <laughs> acute drinker is somebody who like sips from a wine glass yeah. and then leaves half of it on the table. We're That's just talking drinker. about someone who may or may not have a, a severe or drug or alcohol problem, but yeah. when push comes to shove, uh, they can choose to be sober. And so if a person can choose to change some things in their life and stay sober, they're not like me And or we you. can spot them in the rooms from a mile away them. because wow. they come in wow. and they put the drink or the drug down. And life just gets great. Oh, my oh, God. I just go to some meetings and I'm just fine now. I just left that guy and everything else is just better. <laughs> it makes me yes. insane. And I'm like, Because eh. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm jealous. I wish I could have done that. But no, I got to so, do this yep. program. So disclaimer, when we're talking about the nature of this selfishness and these things, these narcissistic personality traits that my sister's going to bring up. Uh, We're talking about it because I was a chronic alcoholic and I didn't know it. Right. You know? Right. And so I can just imagine from a family member's perspective that uh, I wasn't likable. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 And, And the sister that I have today... I never, ever would believe would have been possible. Right. Um, With your parents, the jury is still out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I think they're becoming convinced. Yeah. But I do have to tell you that it it does have to be an in-person experience with Mm -hmm. somebody because we don't know what's going on with someone within their own spirit, that they're working through something. You have to witness and see the change Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I've got to witness this week, which has been very eye-opening and educational for me yeah. yeah you know the funny thing is that you guys are not you didn't really get close until you're in your 40s you're in your late 30s mm-hmm. and my brother and I I started like really spending some time with my mom before she passed and I have a younger brother he's a year you and have a half two younger. younger brothers you always say that well, I have a younger brother you're the oldest a, of three <laughs> I'm actually in the middle of five, but that's, well, that's, a that's whole not with the brothers. See, she show. still does have a little bit of those like controlling <laughs> natures. Think, think? I mean, it's a little like buried it. in her subconscious. But me and that brother did not start getting close until literally like three or four years ago in right, our forties. Right, yeah. right, right. And and it's because I had the same affliction um, that Heather did. Right, which was what uh, personality disorder. <laughs> Well, that does run in our family. You know? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I think that, that I was unaware of it, though. Were you unaware of it? Oh, absolutely. I was completely unaware of and myself. S- and so were we as a family, because all we thought you really needed was a good whooping. Right. <laughs> 
Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We will be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. In studio with me, co-host husband, Donnie. Well, hello. And my sister, Tanya. Hello. This is so much fun. We're talking about how horrible of a person I used to be. And you're either listening to us on KPRC 950 AM or you're listening to us on iHeartRadio. Either way, way to go. Way to go. We're glad you're listening. Okay, so we're trying to give you a perspective from a sibling, a sister's perspective Mm -hmm. uh, during my chronic alcoholism debauchery. So let's start with how many times did you think out step by step on how to kill your sister? (laughs) Can I say 70 times seven? (laughs) (laughs) So, but it's true. Like, um, during those years, I was only on drugs and alcohol, like five ish years during, you know, I got Mm -hmm. sober at 34. It's like 29 to 34. Um, well, but let's preface that. You were on like the worst drug in America for five years. You yeah. were on heroin. So we so. thought. So we thought. Yeah. I don't think it really matters. I think it does. That it was heroin? Because people were like, five years? That's all you got? Yeah, I, I guess. But I mean, it started with Adderall. And then, yeah. and then it was two surgeries back to back. And then it was pain pills. And so it, what it we'll was explain just... to people is that I was able to go like 28 years as a drunk. Yeah. Because you can go a long time, long as, time a as a drunk. Yeah, and you right. can... Socially acceptable. You can keep a I job. I read once that the lifespan, average lifespan of an IV heroin addict is seven years. Right. Wow. So that's the point. Is wow. that when you, when you are on uh, IV heroin, you're going hard in the paint. Whereas yeah. a drunk, like, I always had a job. Right. <laughs> Right. I'd go to work. I, wanna, I, I had to quit my job that. and I worked for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to share about that because, um, you know, there's so many people out there that are battling major addiction issues that seem to appear to be high functioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually have a, a relative that um, her stepson recently overdosed. And when my son called to tell me uh, about it, he said, you know, we knew that he had a, a problem with pills. Like, like he liked pills. That's what he, he liked pills yeah. is what he said. Uh, but we didn't know he had a serious problem because, mm-hmm. you know, he was high functioning. He had a job, yeah. you know, and things like that. He's cleaned up. He's, you know, he has an apartment, pays his bills. It's, it's ironic because like working in treatment, I work at Matthew's Hope. I teach big book there and I'm the recovery support for two years uh, there. It's. Addiction is no respecter of persons. It can jump on anybody. Mm-hmm. And so there are people that are lawyers and doctors and people in the clergy. You have no idea how many I mean, ministers it, and pastors are in matter. a 12-step program Absolutely. going to rehab. It, it doesn't matter how you're raised. You could be raised rich or poor. You yep. could be raised with parents, without parents. You could be adopted or not adopted. It just it doesn't matter what race you are, what religion you are. What background. It doesn't not Having matter. trauma or not having trauma. Right. It just doesn't matter. All that matters is if I have the physical allergy and the mental obsession, meaning I don't have a choice. I'm going to get loaded again. And when I get loaded, I don't have control over the amount. That's a progressive illness, those two symptoms. And so it creeps in for a lot of people later in life. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and so there was all kinds of struggles that I had personally and y'all guys' family had with me trying to help me get sober. Absolutely. <laughs> What's your most memorable story <laughs> trying to get this dirtbag sober? Okay, so this is fun. Um, it's another trip of picking her up from some crack house. Yep. We and, call it down um, in the trap. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Trap and, you know, I'm, I'm very naive. And so... You know, I wasn't really aware of the danger I was in pulling up in the driveway. Right. So, um, but I do remember very vividly one time trying to get her to a detox at a hospital and we're driving down the highway and lo and behold, she's got an iPhone charger cord and she's trying to wrap it around her arm, like to tie her arm off. Oh, you missed your neck. (laughs) I was just thinking to myself, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And she's got this long, natural, beautiful red hair. And she pulls out from behind her ear, just as if like, you know, people used to put like pencils behind their ears, this rig of a needle. And she's trying to find a vein that isn't already blown in my car as we're on our way to detox. detox. And I'm flipping out because to my left in the median is a car. Parked, just sitting there. She has no care in the world. Mm-mm. Not yeah. concerned a bit. And I'm like, I'm finna go to jail. I'm finna yeah. go to jail. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, that cop was a consequence that had no power over her. No, no, because you couldn't not, like, in my addiction, I know what it's like to be powerless, and so I couldn't not. It's like a tunnel vision, like a like an evil magnet, mm-hmm. and there's just nothing that you can do. And I remember uh, you yelling at me, like, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you, when we went to the detox, you told on me. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. <laughs> She's like, she has drugs in her bag. <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, no. Because I'm just thinking, this chick's so clever, she's going to go to detox to have a hotel room, and she's going to put needles somewhere and keep them in a room, and then she's going to overdose, so they're not going to know what happened to her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they took my stuff when I got there. But I just I... want to say that there is a, a, a desperation for family members, just like there is desperation for the addict. Yeah. Like, no matter how, how many times she messed you over, messed up, did mm-hmm. you wrong, mm-hmm. you would just you were just trying to save her life. Honestly, I mean, um, how frustrating is that? It, it's so exhausting. And I think what so many people are going to relate to is, you know, there there is such a, a challenge in cutting somebody off that you love. Because yeah. you can't. You feel like you're hurting them if you do. Well, absolutely. Because you're and afraid they're going to die if yes. you don't help them or feed them <laughs> yes. or something. Jokes, Jokes on, on you. Right? They're going to die either way. You yeah. The, the fear is times. that you're going to get that phone call yeah. in the middle of the night. We found her in a ditch. Yeah. yeah. And you hear these stories, you know, of, you know, I remember Heather telling a story about that they laid da- they laid out sheets knowing that this could be the last time they did it. So they could dispose of the yeah. body. Yeah, your you know. sister is a bit of uh, an overdoer of things, as am <laughs> like, I. Like, that's what's crazy. When I look back, I know that I was crazy then. Yeah. I, I know that the addiction had, but I'm, I was hanging out with other Ivy heroin addicts, but I was the one they made get on the sheet in case I died. And I'm like, what's different about me? Because right? you had already overdone it and died more than once. And I just didn't think that I would die. And then, and then right. some people are like, why are you doing that much? You're going to die. And I said, when? Yeah. Because right. this life sucks. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think that, that addicts probably do get to that point where... They, they don't feel like that they can kick it. Yeah. And and they want to give up. Yeah. And the only way out is to die. And I do have a personal story about that. My biological father 
uh, was an addict in the 70s, early 70s. And back then, um, the drug of choice was huffing, like paint and lacquer thinner and glue and things like this. But not that he didn't get just as sick. And um, he was found dead by a gunshot wound to the head. Uh, His death certificate states suicide. Was he huffing a pistol? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. The thing is, is I feel like that there is that that desperation is that strong yes you you know it's not something you can get over um and just make up your mind that you're going to stop and i think he realized that and he didn't want to be that what's really uh sad and weird is that level of hopelessness and desperation is what's required in order to get well for the people who are meant to get well right and some people don't and don't make it and that's always tragic and sad but before 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 I got to the hopeless stage, mm-hmm. I had all sorts of crazy ideas of how I was going to get sober. Oh right. my God, we right. have a list. Right. I have a whole list. But one in particular involved my sister. I remember I was staying with you after a detox stay, and I told you that I needed to get, a, I believed this. I wasn't right. lying. I right. believed. Hold on. I want to make sure the audience really listens to this. <laughs> I believed, because I was an IV drug addict, that if I got a tattoo every eight days, uh-huh. it would satisfy my my needle addiction, and therefore I'd be able to stay sober. And I believed it, and I convinced my sister she believed it. You really right. believed she that. She borrowed money from people. She took me to a tattoo shop. The tattoo I have right here is the, the tattoo. And people say, how long did you stay sober? I said, nine days. <laughs> Well, another misconception that I think a lot of family members have is is in our desperation to try to save them. Yeah. That um that you know, we're we're willing to do anything. You're panicked. Yeah. You know, we're we're panicked. And I remember having her arrested in my living room. Yeah. Uh when I was living in mm-hmm. in Noble and I remember thinking, "Oh, thank God. I've got her safe for 30 days." <laughs> And if I send her to jail, she can't get any drugs. I could not believe my sister called the cops on me because I, I didn't even know I had a warrant. Oh, no. That's like the ultimate. <laughs> you the can't ultimate do that. betrayal. And, but you can't she, turn your own family over to the public. Yeah, but she had me arrested because she thought I would be safe in jail. And my poor sister had no clue that. And listen, you you know, it, it was hard to get them to arrest her. The only reason they would take her is because she had a warrant. But I was begging the please, I've got to keep her safe somehow. Yeah, yeah. That's sad. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. That's sad. It's sad. Yeah. It's like it wasn't me. No, it wasn't. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. The Donnie and Heather Show. Wow. All right. I'm really glad to have you, Heather. Wow. No ego problem there. I have in studio with us today my sister, Tanya. Welcome. Hello. And we're just talking from a loved one's perspective. My sister's not a chronic alcoholic or drug addict. She's not an Al-Anon. She's not. not... Yep. She's not in a 12-step program. It's just from a loved one's perspective of dealing with me and watching the transformation of what it took to save my life. I have Mm -hmm. another funny one. Do you remember before heroin? Uh-huh. Um, that I was always a complainer about mental health or physical health. Like I always, absolutely. I was hypochondriac. Well, it was real for me. Something was something was always wrong. wrong. You know what it is today? It's her back. 
Her back is always. She either has a really bad back, or she is really just trying to get me to do back rubs every day. <laughs> oh yeah. But I believed I I believed that I was in chronic pain. I believed I had fibromyalgia. I I asked a doctor. I got a back surgery that today I don't think I needed because I was so mentally not okay. You got a backyotomy. Backyotomy. They did some ablation on some nerves. But oh, wow. but I remember going to all these psychiatrists trying to figure out what was wrong with me and getting different diagnosis and different medication and hoping it worked and it just never flipping did. Right. 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 Um, and so I didn't know I had untreated alcoholism. That right. wasn't going to be on anyone's register for a number of more years. But I just remember arguing with a, a psychiatrist once because he had been giving me SSRIs all these years. Right. But after I had a surgery. Yes. Okay. And after I had the surgery and I got pain pills. I was right as rain internally. Right. Boom. I remember you telling me this is this is what helps me be normal. I believe I, I need was this finally to be normal. normal. I needed it to function. I needed it to clean mm-hmm. my house. I that was it. weed, cocaine, and alcohol for me. You give me any of the three, and I completely <laughs> it get fixed, normal. It fixed internally what was spiritually right. wrong with me the entire time, and I didn't know. But I remember arguing with my psychiatrist, saying, "You've been giving me SSRIs, and these only up, you know, serotonin." And I said, "What's the one the antidepressant that ups dopamine?" He goes, "Heather, it doesn't exist." Wow. And so now I'm trying to figure out <laughs> right. jokes, on, jokes you. on me. Give me an opiate. Right. So I'm thinking I just need to take opiates every day for the rest of my life, so right. I feel okay. Yeah. Right. Well, one thing I think that that, you know, family members of addicts believe is that it's a choice. Right. A lot and, of people um, believe it's a choice. They think it's a moral issue. They need right. to hit rock bottom. Like, or... how can an addict be an addict if they never start? Right. If mm-hmm. they if they never actually try it, then how do you ever become an addict? And this week I've learned so much just from talks with my sister about, um, you know, the misconcepts mm-hmm. that we have of what is actually wrong with them. Right. right. We just need to make a decision or get some willpower or because get your mind truth right. Truth is, most of the world can go have a surgery that they need and not become a heroin addict. There's right. sure. It was not on my radar or any doctor's radar to know that I would have the allergy and the obsession I'd lost the power of choice. There's right. no way to know that ahead of time. Right. And the funny thing is, is that you and I both, prior to getting sober and getting a connection to God to remove that mental obsession that we had, mm-hmm. would have both been and did get addicted to pills coming out of a surgery yeah yet in sobriety right yeah connected to god you and i have both had surgeries and when it was time to stop the meds we stopped yeah right wow right that's the miracle of being connected to god wow it's the surrender yeah and i really want to talk about that i'm actually a hairstylist but funny (laughs) key point i actually used to do radio a hundred years ago (laughs) but you're a hairstylist you're a hairstylist in bristow in bristow what's the name of your salon it is the Dollhouse Boutique. Do you have a Facebook page? I do. <laughs> and I used to do radio for um, what KRK. What's, what's, <laughs> what's your Facebook page? Just trying to she's, plug oh, you here. Heather, Heather, uh, she's from Oklahoma. Just slow it <laughs> down a little bit. <laughs> well, it's the Dollhouse Boutique. Okay. And there's a play on the word boutique. It's B-E-A-U-T-I-Q-U-E. Okay, good. Okay. Now they can look you up. There so, you go. But now, as a hairstylist, I just kind of want to point out that I get a lot of clients that um, are dealing with this issue. Um, either personally or somebody in their family. Mm -hmm. This is not something that discriminates. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like, why do I get all of these addicts that just come to me? Like, this is not my story. Like, let me plug you in with my sister. She knows what's up. And so um, I just, I like being a sponge and just like learning as much as I can anytime I have an opportunity to. But I think you're going to get so much purpose from God around the Al-Anon perspective, the family member's perspective. 
perspective yes. to help them because they're them they're just waiting on their their family member to finally be ready. And, exactly. And what does that look like for you, Heather? Versus <laughs> what does that look like for you, Tanya? Well, I think that we all keep. How many waiting. times did you think she was ready? We we could not believe. I just want to speak this because this is kind of something I think a lot of people will relate to. We all are waiting for them to hit this, you know, magical rock bottom, which doesn't exist, by the way, listeners. Okay, so. Yeah. When she lost custody of her kids, I thought to myself, this has got to be it. You know, um, you know, what could get worse than that? Well, um, wait, what did you do in the parking lot before you walked into here's, court here's to lose the, your kids? Here's the insanity. When I lost custody of my kids, that court date, I, that was only six months into yeah. my addiction. Okay. Not when I would get sober. Oh, First wow. six only months. Only six months into a five-year run. Only six months run. into a five-year run. Wow. And my dad picked me up from a trap house, yeah. took me to court to go in and lose custody, but I had him get out of the car, truck in the parking lot of the courthouse so I could get high in his truck before I went in and lost custody of my kids. Wow. Mm. That's because the insanity. You've, you've got to to numb what you know you're about to experience emotionally. Yeah. And you love your kids. I do. Yeah. And you know, this is the thing that I couldn't understand as a mother. I didn't know that I didn't have a choice. Right. But it, no and, one knew. And neither did we. Nobody knew. And I think this is the frustration that so many family members of addicts go through because we're waiting for them to be ready. We're waiting for them to hit rock bottom. We're waiting for them to make the choice because we do learn in time after so many failures that... Like, like clean it up, get it together right, enough. Right, like... Well, we figure it out that we can want it for them, but they've got to want it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the frustrating angles, Don and I meet a lot of people in recovery, and, so, and some people come to us and be like, well, when this happened, you, I just made the choice. I just decided. I just did this, and, and I, it worked for me. I'm like, cool, then you weren't chronic. Right. You have a different illness than right. what someone like me has. It just looks the same. Well, mm-hmm. I have a recent experience with a friend's daughter that um, I called in some recovered addict friends that I know to come in and have a chat Hi, with Jeremy. her. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. He's he's kind of my adopted son, um, client friend, but he really stepped up to help me in a crisis situation. Um, but there was something that he said to this um, this little girl that I was trying to round up help for, and um, I was I kept using the word ready. He was saying, "Are you?" Like, you were saying, to "I her, was saying, are, are you, re- you ready?" Because she's, you know, she's like pregnant and it's kind of a now or never deal. If you're not going to do this now, then it's just, you know, that's kind of like uh, last shot. And I'm like, you know, what's it going to take for you to be ready? And Jeremy says what? And Jeremy corrected me. And um, this hit me like really, really hard in, in the heart, in the core of my being, because I never understood this. He said... We'll never be ready. That's There's right. no such thing as ready or not he ready. He said, it's are you willing yeah. to go to any links yeah. to master your sobriety? Which means, have you had enough of a savage butt kicking that right. you're willing to do whatever Anything. it takes? And for family members, it looks like this, okay? Um, what's it going to take for us to realize that what we're doing that we think is trying to help them is actually enabling them. It's enabling them and it's prolonging the illness. Because it's counterintuitive. You, it's a relative. You're a family member. You just you're, don't feel right. Is, I got to take care of this person. And what you don't realize is you're literally prolonging their possible Because here's, here's why. If you are band-aiding their life with shelter, money, yeah. whatever, right, right. why would they ever seek God? Right. 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 Well, you're already helping them. But why would they ever seek God for to meet their needs? You know, and oh, that yeah, is something. We should something... address that real quick. Uh, this broadcast is brought to you by God. <laughs> right. Because Amen. We wouldn't be Amen. here without him. Amen. And hallelujah. Hashtag Jesus. Amen to that. 
Well, you know, in listening to, we, I just had some talks with my sister this week that really have been so monumental in like, you know, just my processing and understanding in a new way that I really haven't understood before. And when she talked about, um, you know, you have to be desperate enough to, yeah, to surrender. Even, but it's not even, I think it's out of options. Yeah, right, you're out of options, yeah. but desperate enough to really hang on so tightly to that direct line with God that you're relying oh. on him to direct your every move. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, we all need that. Mm-hmm. You know, we all need something that, and, and so many people ask the, the age old question, you know, if God exists, then why do bad things happen? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while there's because really. Because he doesn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> there's no. really no easy answer to that except. But, Self-will is the answer to that. It, well, yeah. right. Self-reliance. Self, right. Self-reliance. Self-will. Right. Self-will. Will is what all evil in the world is due to self-will. Right. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. But the point being is that we all need to to be in a place in our life where we are so desperate for him to take over and take control and guide each step that we move. You know, that's not just for alcoholics. I agree. All humans have a desire to be connected to their creator and need that God reliance. But but when you're a chronic alcoholic or drug addict, that's like the only option. The problem is that I had zero other option i had to get to that point where yeah. i literally did not i had checked off every option right every consequence everything mm-hmm. on the list where yeah. there was nothing else that donnie could do yeah. literally yeah. right right and and then it was like okay right let me try well, this 12 i've, step I've been nicknamed in the past uh make it happen tanya because you know i'm a get her done girl <laughs> but um you know i really have believed you know in my mind that like i have the ability and the compassion you know to really help people and to reach them. And so I was so disappointed in my own abilities (laughs) to be able to rescue my sister because I couldn't fix it. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. And possibly KPRC 950. That too. That too. Recovery Radio brought to you today by the Lunacy of Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Matthews Hope Foundation. Oh, that's That's right. right. (laughs) That's right. They're actually paying the bill. We just have the Oklahoma Lunacy in the house today. Listen, I think this is really good. I appreciate our listeners for hanging with us, and and I hope that this has been informative because what we're just talking about is from my sister's perspective, a family member that does not know what the heck is wrong (laughs) with their drug addicts. And at some point with your drug addict, you either want to kill them yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or save them in some way. And so I just want to say that the biggest gift my family ever gave me was when my dad told me, Heather, never call here again. And he cut me off mm-hmm. and he gave me to God. And yeah. he meant it. And he meant it. He stuck mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Right. And um, that forced me to find my desperation level and my willingness. Mm-hmm. That gives me chills when you talk about it because I can't imagine ever doing that. Yeah. I yeah. just can't. It's so hard. At the time, I was so mad. You better so trust mad. God when you do that. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought that meant he didn't love me. So if you have a drug addict or an alcoholic in your life that when you try to set boundaries, they say, you don't love me and, and, and yes. they're angry, cool, yes. let them feel and right. think whatever they want to feel and think. Right. Because the longer you help them, that you are literally prolonging their getting sober. Yeah. I remember I mean, sharing something on Facebook once that was some kind of meme saying something to the effect that if the addict likes you, 
then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, if they're mad at you, then you probably have a healthy boundary. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I finally do get sober, but it's not because of any enabling that my family provided or any love or support that they provided. Yeah. Right? I found the end of me. Yeah. Um, and I found um, you ran out of options. I There's ran no out of pa- options. No more panhandling. No more <laughs> hanging at the trap. Yeah. No more, I mean, literally, no more living like, in a storage unit. Right. That wasn't fun. Right. Um, in Texas in August. August in Texas. Sorry. Oh, wow. I love being a drunk because I had a job <laughs> and I had a house and I had somewhere to stay. Well, aren't you special? But here's the thing: we have the same illness. We That's do. That's the beauty of this spectrum. You had all your things. Yeah. You were high functioning. You had money in the bank. Yeah. Right. Not and, a lot, though. And you were an atheist, right? Yeah, I was. And, wow. he, and here I was, a Christian, Christian, not living for God, but a Christian believer, mm-hmm. right? With nothing, all of the yeah. external rock bottom, horrible homelessness, you know, right. dr- you know, legal issues you can imagine, and we had the same illness. That's the weird thing is you were the Christian with the internal and external broken emptiness, mm-hmm. and I was the atheist drunk with the I had everything on the external my internal was dead right and and so it doesn't matter what your externals look like or what consequences you may or may not have had or what substance you may or may not abuse you can still have chronic alcoholism it's weird because you're definitely (laughs) a better person than me I am now yeah you really are you didn't know old Heather Tanya did I mean honestly let's just say I feel like that I'm just meeting my sister, the true her, yeah. you know, in the last few years since she's been sober, because this, for the, for the this first is time. not the Heather that we knew. Right. And I was all. just explaining to Tanya, I think Friday night or whatever, about our literature talks about the reason you work the steps is because I need a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain to her what this personality change is. It's like, how do these steps do anything? Right. How do these 12 steps, you know? It didn't make any it sense It didn't make any in. sense. Yeah. I logically believed them. I logically thought I already lived them. So I don't need to do all of this, yeah. right? right? I thought tr- I was really aware of myself. It's a true paradox. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about everything on the left. I'm worried about job, girlfriend. Yep. I'm worried about all that. And what they're saying is, no, no, you do the steps on the right. And this power grid is going to take care of everything on the left. I'm like, no, that makes zero sense. I can't stop drinking over here on the left, and you want me to do this thing on the right. And I used to hate it when I was new in the rooms, and people will say these cliche things like, just let go and let God. And I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, how? Right. I don't understand. I logically understand what you're saying, but I don't know what I need to do to get out of the way. Well, nobody you know, as a child, thinks to themselves, I want to grow up and, and be, be a heroin, heroin addict. addict. And, no, I think, actually, your and, sister no, aspired to it. She <laughs> And to sleep it. under a bridge. Yeah. Um, and no family member, no mother, no sister, wants that for their their family member. Yeah. And th- and that is a, that's a different kind of a, of a desperation. But when I first was hearing her talk about that she has to have this, like, direct line um, with God, like on a daily to, you know, to just direct every mm-hmm. single move that she makes, because it's a it's a constant state of dying to self. Yes. Well, we all need that. I mean, that's scriptural right there. Right. Um, dying to ourselves daily. Problem. It's a human problem, the spiritual sickness. And yes. every human could benefit yes. from a so, spiritual way of life. So right. how, how did you feel when you had heard that she actually got sober for real and it had been some time? How did you feel the first time you talked to her? Did it sound like a, a different person? Um, well, there it was a process because you know she when she moved to to Kerrville mm-hmm. um she you know attempted and relapsed and attempted and relapsed a couple times so i think that what You're you know cautious. 
Absolutely. There's a hesitation in the back of yeah. our minds as to... Um, I still don't trust her. And she's shut up. Up on six years to ride. Shut up. Like, Any like, moment, I'm ready to shut them credit cards there's off. There's got to be long a hesitation. Is, is this really going to stick? Right. right. I, I didn't believe I would stay sober either, by the way. Right. And that's yeah. what blows my <laughs> mind. It's probably the biggest shocker to us. Like, <laughs> because like, here's I'm the thing. I'm coming up on nine years in April. Are you kidding me? Are you me? kidding? Right. And one of the things that blows my mind is just thinking that we're over here, the the non-addict, okay, we're over here thinking that you don't even want to get clean. You're not even trying. You're right. just like screwing and, and up I'm thinking, and over and I'm over. I'm trying every single thing but yeah. God. Right. <laughs> Why right. isn't this working? And so, and that's the thing is that, um, you know, we get so frustrated like, okay, mm-hmm. if I can get her in jail for 30 days, maybe she'll be sober enough to think straight. <laughs> yeah. And, and just just realize yeah. what she's doing to herself and I can talk some sense into her or you know if I can get her into a detox maybe somebody that's with this program will be able to speak something into her that she will get yeah. you know and you're looking for all of these outside resources to perform a miracle and that's not how it works right. and so then it does happen and I, I don't know maybe it was the storage unit that made you willing no. I mean living in a storage unit in August in the hill country of Texas yeah yeah but um, so, but it did happen, right? Yeah. I still she... wasn't willing then. Even when I went back to treatment for the fifth and final time, yeah. it was a good friend of mine that seen me relapsed in and out for a year, Tony. And he came up to the treatment center I was in about one weekend, and he was so brutally honest but mean to me, made me cry. Mm-hmm. But he gave me a dose of truth about myself and that I was not willing or surrendered at all. Right. And, and I broke down and bawled my eyes out. And I just thought to myself, if... If I'm going to stay sober, that's only because I'm going to get connected to God. And if I need to get connected to God and I won't even pray or work these steps, how can God do anything for me? Right. So we have you on the beginning of your drug usage. What was it your dad said uh, to everybody in the room like you were not in the room? This is before you hit heroin. Before I was a drug addict. Yeah, I was just maladacious, Heather, you know, but he said to my sister and my mom, you know, uh, I think Heather's just morally bankrupt and spiritually defective. She's just abrasive. That's why nobody likes her. Turned out he was right. Turned out he was exactly right. Okay, so then you... You go through your addiction. Yep. Um, you tear the family up. You finally get into a rehab for the last time. Yep. Whatever it touches you does, and you're ready to surrender because yep. that's what it's all about, really. I surrendered surrender. all of me yep. finally. And so now, what does your relationship look like today? I mean, this is like the most amazing thing in the whole wide world because. I've always known I had a sister, but I never got to enjoy having a sister Mm. and getting to know my sister. And I've had the most fun. She has spoiled me for my birthday all week. (laughs) And, you know, I see her life now. And, you know, it's a it's a living miracle. In fact, I got in trouble for trying to share the story with a lady at the shopping mall the other day. (laughs) (laughs) We were shopping uh, at a store at a a, a house goods, you know, and she tells this lady passing us on the aisle, you know, hey, you know, my sister's a heroin addict. But she's sober, and I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, I'm wanting her to know that she's a living miracle, and that she's spoiling me this weekend, and that's a miracle. You're you're proud. proud. You're proud. proud. I'm proud. And and again, where the ego comes into play is so huge that um, you know we all think to ourselves that you know our addict family members and friends are just deciding you know and we don't understand like that blew my mind when you said I didn't think I would stay sober either I'm like you mean it wasn't that you just made up your mind no because you always ask me that. What is it you did? How did you just decide what worked? Right. You know, right. And I, you can't explain it because it was just like, 
nothing worked. I found the end of my ideas. I found the end of me. Mm-hmm. And I was willing enough to work these steps and get connected to God. And God's That's the it. one that did the work. Absolutely. And that is the thing that I think is so big even for the family members, is to understand that we, too, have to get to that place, that we surrender and we give them to God. That's it. Well, if you, I thank you guys. Thank you for being on the show with me today. This has been fun. This has been so fun. Thank you for listening to the Donnie and Friends show. Wow. (laughs) Uh, If you or loved one would like information about Matthew's Hope, give us a call, please. 844-263-4673. And remember, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.